You are listening to the Art Wonk Podcasts, a show where we take a deep dive into what it takes to be successful in marketing if you are a visual artist or craftsperson. We will explore how the art world works as well as how to better achieve your professional goals. I am Neville Park, your host and resident Art Wonk. So settle in and join me as we get today's show underway. This is episode 23, Where's Your Head At? and features guest artist Dai Toka. Yay! Hey everyone, hey, welcome into the Art Wonk podcast. Today I'm going to share with you an interview I did with a wonderful cast glass artist called Dai Toka. And Di and I are really exploring the whole idea of keeping safe in your studio, not physically safe, but more emotional safety and the things involved in looking after your well-being. So settle back and enjoy. This was really a pleasure to do. So welcome, by the way, welcome in. Thank you. Now, the reason that I'm talking with Di so that you folks sort of have a bit of a background is I came across this wonderful essay that she wrote uh, all about studio survival, about how to look after yourself in the studio and not so much um, the physical stuff, although that is a very important part of our daily routine, um, but more the emotional and social elements of studio health, how to, how to keep yourself safe. Uh, and it really did, it, it struck a chord with me, it intrigued me because it's an important subject and it's easily overlooked and uh, we tend to talk about our work a lot and not always our work environment or our work behaviours. Um, so thank you for writing this, Di, it was a little while back but it's it's still really pertinent, isn't it? Uh, I, I think it's really impertinent, um, Neville, in fact I'm quite passionate about this topic and um, you're right, people do shy away from it and we focus on what we've been making, what we've been doing and less about how we're feeling about it all. Yeah. And that, that, could, could you just give our listeners a bit of an overview? What is it you actually do? How, how, how does your work environment look? Okay, well, I'll give you a picture of where I'm sitting now. So um, I'm sitting in my studio. I've got two parts to my studio. I've got one which I call the white room just because it's painted white and this room <laughs> and this room um, has several functions. It's my lunch room, it's my thinking room, it's my office, it's my gallery space, it's where I'll talk to clients and then I can walk through to the double garage which is attached and that is my messy place and I can tell you that it's pretty messy at the moment and that's where all the, the work happens. So I'm a full-time glass caster so not a glass blower. Um, so I'm not working with hot molten glass. I'm working with wax models, plaster molds, uh, molds that go in the kiln, and then lead crystal is poured in, and that's how I end up with my final sculptures after I've done hours and hours and hours of grinding with heavy power tools. So it's a very physically demanding job that I'm doing, and it's also very technical. So in my practice, I have times where I'm extremely creative for days and weeks on end where I'm building wax models and designing new work. And then other times I'm very technically focused where I'm going through the motions of actually just getting the work to the finished state. I work alone at the moment because after, well, actually before lockdown, I decided to lay off my assistant. So for the past, um, gee, it's coming up nearly five years now, I've had an assistant work with me and I had just taken a new one on because I lost my assistant who worked with me solidly for a year. Uh, she moved down to Wellington. I'm based in Cambridge, by the way. Okay. Um, yep. That's Cambridge, New Zealand because there's many Cambridges around the world. There are indeed. So, you know, uh, top, top middle of uh, the North Island for yep, those who... Yep, that's right. And so I had a lovely assistant start work with me and then COVID hit and I thought, whoa, what? I just had no idea, like all of us, what was going to happen to the art world and whether anybody was even going to purchase art anymore. So I backed off a bit 
and let her go. Fortunately, she had a um, she's got her own pottery practice to to get up and running, which she's going great guns with. So I'm relieved about that. And so now I'm back to working on my own. So I this guy it's been really interesting going back to this essay that I wrote now because a lot of that essay is about how I enjoyed I enjoy and need to work with an assistant. And now I'm back in that situation where I'm working by myself. And there's pros and there's cons for both ways. So if we go back a bit. Yeah. Do you want to do that, Neville? We'll go back, yeah. a, back a little bit. Uh, so I'm. Oh, this is my 15th year in full-time studio practice. So I'm pretty seasoned at this business of just turning up to the studio every day. I will admit that I think it's probably not till about my eighth year but that I would say that I was... 100% disciplined to turn up every day. Like, right, really, I've just got to walk through that door and make stuff happen. And even if I don't want to do the creative stuff, it's about writing a list on the blackboard and just making it happen. So can so, I just yes. interrupt you on that one? So you find that having that structure is an important part of your connection with it as a work process or that's part of your creative process? Well, the work and the creative are intertwined. I can't help that. Okay. That's just but, – but you need a work ethic, I think, to create successfully as a full-timer. So I'm making a living from my practice and putting food on the table in my household. So I do have certain obligations to turn up and make work and therefore sell work. Yeah. And your work, um, being, being the material that you're working in, not the cheapest to make. No, no. Big investment in the process and the in the time, as well as the materials and the equipment that I've now got. So, and that's been a long build up over the fifteen years, obviously, where I've kept adding adding to things. Oh, it's uh, yeah, and and I think that that's just for those who are starting out. It's worth remembering that when you're comparing yourself to somebody who has has invested time, there are generally no shortcuts to to good ethic over time. Um, no, it, it does it, add up, it, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I also say that it's, a, you know, people often say, oh, how do you get such a good finish on a on that piece of glass or something? <laughs> I work it's at just, it. <laughs> it's just time on the tools. Yeah. It really is time. Um, and there's no substitute for that. You've just, and that's what I mean by turning up every day and just exploring and making stuff happen because so, usually good stuff happens. Uh, yeah, and uh, I've, I work with so many artists. I've discovered there are lots of different ideas as to what a workday is. Um, you know, because some of us um, binge, others are methodical yeah. plotters. There, there are a lot, but for you, this is obviously you know, well, the commitment is high and the result is essential. So you've you've formulated that plan. You end up though in the situation. Um, two things that come to mind straight away from hearing you say that. One is. A lot of artists have a hard time convincing family and friends that they are working because when we talk about our work, we tend to use words like play and joy and excitement and, oh, I love what I do. And a lot of people don't talk about work like that. So you've conditioned the people around you to understand that you are actually going to work as well. Has that been part of the process of developing that routine so that they see that this is what you're committed to and engaged in? Yeah, that's absolutely right, Neville. So I'm fortunate in that um, my husband has been amazingly supportive since um, the day in Melbourne in about 98 where I came home and said, I want to go to university, like completely out of the blue, never spoke about the subject before. And he said, what for? And I said, well, I've discovered there's a, a Bachelor of Fine Arts, Major Glass. Cool. I've got to do it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, he didn't actually say cool. He just went, how the hell are we going to survive? Yeah, that's a fair um, question. <laughs> yeah, it is a fair question. So we worked through that together and I did do my three years at uni. And then I don't know, I've never gone back to him actually and asked him this question because for five years I packed everything in a box and didn't do anything with it. So that sorry, was that post the study? That was or? post the study. Yeah. I had pretty much worked so hard and thrown myself into it that I burnt out a bit. Um, and other things happened. We moved back to New Zealand. Yeah, life. And 
yeah, life, life happened, you know, started a family. And so the casting took a break. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to meet another artist in Hamilton and we were living in Hamilton at the time. And, and at this time, so this goes back to us saying about starting out, which is quite interesting. I was thinking, how do you start a casting studio? How do you even do that? It's going to take so much money to get kilns and all these sorts of things. And I met um, Colleen, and she was already casting. And she told me that she did casting. I was like, oh, who does that? Now, this You've is Colleen, remember, Colleen, Colleen Ryan, Ryan Priest. Priest. Yep. 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 And so um, we struck up this incredible relationship where we worked together. I say worked because after a couple of months of playing on a, on a regular Thursday night, I was absolutely hooked again and she was working for herself between her architectural practice and making stuff in her garage. And she said, do you want to come and join me? Come and use my space. You work on your stuff. I'll work on mine. What oh, an amazing offer. What a gift, yeah. yeah. You know, so I scurried around thinking, what am I going to do with my eight-month-old during, <laughs> during the day? Um, oh. And got my children into daycare so I could go and play. There was a little bit of guilt. And that goes back to, you know, having a supportive husband. Actually, it's so, an interesting one. There, just, just a, a small interjection there. But yeah. um, I've been listening to a number of um, podcasts that are hosted by ladies, especially from the UK. There's quite a few female artists who cast from up there. And yes, it, it comes are. up very regularly, this idea that as um, a mother taking time for your family and putting your art career on hold, that, that there there's kind of a back push from a lot of the art community who tell you, oh, don't do it and things like that, which totally surprised me. But then I was mm. the, the primary caregiver. My wife went to work while I stayed home because I foolishly thought that children eat sleep and I had to change the occasional <laughs> nappy. I had no idea how much work it was. Oh, no. It was lovely. Mm. I, I the best three yeah. years of my life, hands down. No argument there. I learned more. But did you get much art done, Neville? Um, well, I don't know. It depends. I was often, um, I was an installation. One day I have distinct memories of sitting squished into a washing basket being fed pigs. I felt like that was a creative <laughs> enterprise. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. But I, I use that time... Um, in ways I didn't appreciate till later. Um, I was referencing yeah, so yeah. many things. And so, you know, you get down on the floor and you play with a little one and you look at your world in a way that most adults don't because most of us don't spend prolonged periods on the floor without some kind of impairment well, that, due to alcohol or yeah. other things. Um, so, you know, really there, there was so much there. But it's a big thing to step away from that that gender role and commit to your art. So, you know, kudos yeah, to you there. Absolutely. That takes, I know the pressures that others place on you. It's not always ours, but wow. I, I actually just kept told, telling myself that I was a better mother for doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I think my kids have turned out um, relatively balanced. And one of the things that I really like working from home and having a studio practice my kids get to see what I create and my um, my job is very tangible for them yeah they can see that you go you work hard you make something you sell it you make a living yeah and but they also see mum tackling big weights they see you attacking machinery without fear <laughs> yes, they, they see yes. you as a powerful woman I'm sure because uh, you know that I, I've been around enough studio spaces where gender is absolutely not an issue it's all about yeah. intent and working smarter, not necessarily with more brawn, but with a bit of extra brain. You can achieve an enormous amount. My favourite yeah. blacksmith in the world is a lady who, um, she she's not a big person, but she wields a hammer with such amazing skill that she forges stuff that a lot of very experienced, burly male blacksmiths cannot emulate. So I think in the end it, it it's, you know, it's it's a very cool to see the modelling of all options in front of our young, as well as you know those of us that aspire to be like you. I'd love to be playing yeah. with glass. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you might not if you really came and saw the true gritty side of it. Oh, I've 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 been yeah. lucky enough to play in a few glass studios. Okay, um, cool. And I um I do have no uh, you know illusions. There is there's a lot of repetitive and just straight. Oh, do you sorry the. 
we call the it pun, but the work. grind, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. a lot of that polishing, um, being a stone sculptor myself and, and working with steel, I play the you same tools. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for those of you out there who paint or do other things, trust me, I know that you all have your own effort base and we're not saying you have to actually use heavy tools or things to produce, but um, there is an antisocial element attached to having breathing apparatus, earmuffs, protective clothing and spinning um, <laughs> power tools in your hand, that means that your social engagements change. So it does change the, the way you get to, um, to share what you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's so right. you ended up, I, I'm sorry for interrupting your flow there, but you, you ended up finding this wonderful, um, would you call Colleen a mentor or was she just really a, a, a journeyman that you could, could work alongside and evolve a, a practice out yeah, of? Yeah, we, we were more, more like peers, although there's a, there's a 23 um, year age gap. And in some ways she was my mentor, but in other ways I was hers because I'd come from a degree course of casting and had over in Australia. So I had a whole lot of new techniques to teach her yeah. and she learned somewhere else and she had techniques to to teach me but probably the coolest thing was um so we shared equipment we started to build up our practices by buying gear we very smartly bought um if we bought a piece of equipment we each bought it but the other one could use it because cool. we knew it wouldn't last forever mm -hmm. so then we could take that equipment so that was that was one thing worth noting so we shared equipment we shared techniques we shared knowledge we had time to chew the fat um, we critiqued each other's work and we helped each other with large physical stuff and, and had a really good time for about four years. Um, but there did become a point where I needed to develop my practice a bit more. I needed to be able to invite clients over and I couldn't kind of do that. Um, and, you know, all good things come to an end and Colin had other things to go on to. And so then I... Um, Again, with the support of help of my amazing husband, Mike, uh, we decided to build a purpose-built studio uh, next to our house, which is not the one I'm in now, but we had this other one just out on the outskirts of Hamilton. Um, and so that was a really exciting time, getting to design a purpose-built building, have my PowerPoints where I wanted, water, all of that sort of thing. It was really, really exciting. Um, and for a couple of years, I was humming along really, really nicely. I was working very, very hard because obviously I felt a little bit more financial pressure. Um, and But I was happy. Things were great. And then one day, um, we're going to get a bit darker here, sorry, people, but I think it's really important to share the story if it's all right, Neville. Yeah, please. Um Things were going amazing. I was really happy. And then one day I just walked into the studio, went to start work and burst into tears. Like, I mean completely out of the blue. I had no inkling this was coming. And I thought, whoa, you know, I'm a woman, so I assumed it was that time of the month, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I did have a couple of things I needed to do that day, so I tried to push it on and I couldn't. It was like there was a wall in front of me. It was a sunny winter's day, so I went up back up to the house and I sat on the deck, still crying, about an hour later, and thought, what is happening? And I looked through the window into our bedroom and saw John Kerwin's um, book about depression. I can't remember what his book is called. Uh, it's a really good read. And... Um, I saw it there. My husband had been reading it just because he wanted some insight. Um, and I picked it up and flipped it through and I thought, God damn, that's, what it, that's what's going on. Um, and I just sat for the rest of the day and my husband rang me to actually tell me he had a pay rise. And <laughs> all exciting conversation and I burst into tears. And he was just, he was floored. Now, this went on for three weeks which is an awful long time when you're in that time. So for the first week, every day, I went down to the studio. It was down a sort of a grassy bank, down the steps through the garden, and I couldn't get past the door handle. So I went back to the house and I lay on the couch. I, I got up and got the kids off to daycare, did do that. Um, actually, they were at school by then. I got 
did enough so that I could get them off to there. And then I just sat around thinking, what am I doing? Why is this all falling apart? I didn't come up with any answers that first week. The second week, I could go in, but I couldn't actually do anything. I could just be there. And you've got to remember, this is my absolute happy place. This is my total dream, you know, if I just wanted to be there all the time prior to this. Um, and then I could start to get some clarity about how to plan to get out of this. And one thing that really struck me was I just realized that I was a social creature, but I had been spending the majority of my time alone for a very long time. So I'd stopped working with Colleen. Um, I had a really good friend who I used to go out to exhibitions and stuff with, and she'd left to go overseas, and she was my fun fun buddy. Um, so if you're listening, Grace, hello. <laughs> um, Hi, Grace. And, and she, you know, she left. So just these little things fell away. And what I realized was I was doing this whole business of being an artist. I was taking it all on my shoulders. I wasn't sharing anything with Mike. I wasn't sharing the load of, you know, the thoughts, should I do this? Should I do that? How should we progress? I wasn't sharing any of that. I wasn't even sharing the joy. So he helped me to get through it. And we talked stuff out. We come up with crazy options. I, I am a bit of a crazy planner. I'll just throw anything down. So I thought about going to work somewhere else a day a week. I thought about quitting it all together and getting a real job. <laughs> um, I thought about a whole bunch of other stuff. And then we came up with a plan. Okay. Uh, now, now, I'm going to stop you here. Yeah. Um, I, I truly appreciate that you're sharing this. Are you okay with me just probing a little bit and unpacking a yep, couple of questions can. in here? Yep, that's okay because um, I think it's really important because I'm I'm sure that other people have had this experience, Neville. I've had this experience, Di. Yeah. This is something I've been through. So um, that's part of why uh, I feel it's worth exploring this. Um, yep. So uh, there's a couple of points in there that, that I'm, I'm curious about and I'm hoping that there might be some answers that are helpful for others in there. Um mm -hmm. You described getting to the door and not being able to go through. What did that feel like? Was that an anxiety, a dread? Oh, was it a wall? What What were you you actually feeling? Because it's it might be a different presentation to somebody else, but it may be the feeling that they're going to relate to and go, oh, okay, now I I I know that feeling. Um, so how did it feel I, for you? I felt sick to the stomach. Yeah, I felt like it was nausea. Just um, and I'm actually when you asked me to say that that, <laughs> that feeling came over me again. It does, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I and it and it dis, and also a disbelief and at the same time a disappointment. There's all this random stuff and the and this just over this looming why and you know why me? <laughs> well, I, now so I, I'm going to share what happened to me because I okay. don't think this should be one sided. Um, and right. because we've all, I think, at different times had different variations of what you're describing. Um, and for some, it, it it is a minor thing, and for others, it's a major one. Um, so I, I had achieved what my vision of what an artist was. I was a producing artist. I had my own gallery in Lawn Street in Auckland, so that runs parallel with Queen Street, um, right smack in the middle of the CBD. Mm -hmm. Very busy location. Uh, I used to literally sit at my counter where I drew um, and look out my door uh, and right in front of me was the Auckland um, main central art gallery um, and around me within two minutes walk there were like 14 other galleries. So I had made it. And then I just, yeah, yeah exactly. I thought yeah. I, you know, I was selling my artwork was predominantly what I represented. Um, I went to work every day and... Um, I opened my doors and I got praise. It was stupidly good. And then I started to do things that were really weird. Um, I would arrive in the morning, I'd put a sign on the door saying close due to illness and I'd go to the beach and I'd oh. sit and stare at the water. I didn't do anything. Um, I was just completely overwhelmed by the space, by this place that I'd got How to. How often did you do that, Neville? It went on for nearly three months until I finally one day 
broke down and told my wife that I'd been hiding from my life. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it, 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 for me, presented over time. I would have one day in a week, um, sometimes half a day. Sometimes I'd get as far as the cafe down the road and I'd spend the day watching people. Um, and I equally, as you're describing, um, the sense of almost a force field pushing me back, but also yeah. pure confusion as to why, with all the matrix that I measured success and what I perceived success to be at that time, why was, why was I feeling this? What was going on? Um, and being a typical bloke, of course, <clears throat> asking for help. Hell no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but my wife gave me a full earful um, and said, you need help. So I went to my doctor and I said, you know, I've been hiding from my world. I don't know what's going on. And luckily for me, my doctor um, at the time, I'd only seen this doctor once in my life. I, I'm very incredibly lucky when it comes to, to doctors. I, I have my name on their list, but I never see them. Um, but this one I'd only met once, but it turned out that they had been a customer in the shop. And oh, wow. um, so she said, oh, my husband was going through something like this when he got laid off. You sound like you were struggling with depression. And he saw this chap, gave me a name, um, and he specializes in dealing with people who have been um, in high power positions, um, management positions that have been laid off. And she said, you sound very much like him. And I'm thinking, well, I haven't been laid off. For Christ's no. sake, I'm, I'm at the other end of the scale right now. But I, I was desperate for help, so I went along. And what I learned in one hour session was that I had achieved my dream. You know, this this uh -huh. chip sat there and he presented back to me and he said, you know, a lot of driven people, so I'm not wanting to make this all about me. I would like to go through what you went through, but just to put the context of what yeah, I have yeah, just no, explained. It, yeah. it's, it's right on the same line. Yeah. A lot of driven people, they have a goal, an aspiration, a dream, whatever you want to call it, and their target is set firmly on it. When they achieve that dream, if they haven't got then another dream to put in its place, the goals, that, 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 that chase, that, that whole drive thing that you use as your motivation, yeah. as your inspiration, and, and, and that gets you every day out of bed and at it, um, suddenly disappears. And just like someone who's had their job taken away from them, um, through no fault of their own and find themselves with no mental preparation and no um, no support network or anything in place, find themselves suddenly without a title, without position, without rank or whatever it is that they associate. Normally men so struggle with this a bit more because they use their job to define themselves. Um, this is how it was explained to me. The, yeah. um, the outcome is the same. You fall into a hole because you now have to rebuild your whole vision of what you are and what you do and where you're going to go, etc. And he explained to me that what I was doing fit a depression, but it fit a specific type of depression, which was this, this sense of identity that I'd, I'd built around my own thinking was no longer practical because I no longer was trying to attain something. I'd actually got it. What next? Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so he sent me a couple of simple tasks. Right. Build, and build, they worked. Yeah, because they were simple yeah. things for me, for me anyway, because um, I'm goal orientated. Um, I'm ego driven. Uh, like most people, I have, I have a desire to engage in the world. I was just pulling back because I didn't know what to do next. Um, so, so when what he's, were the two things that he sent you? Um, pick a new goal. So yep. find something that you do not believe is easily attainable and start trying to build for that. Um, and the other one is get a hobby because I'd taken my hobby and oh, turned it into get, my business. Yeah. And in doing so, the release that I used to get from doing my art, the, the place I went and let the world go was in doing that. Now that was the business and I hadn't replaced it. Um, and yeah, so that, one that's session. quite interesting, yeah. that hobby thing, because everybody just assumes because we do our job that we absolutely love that it's all about that. And it yeah. is very easy to be all about that, isn't it? Oh, it's incredible um, because you, you will spend, you know, an awful lot of time doing it. I have a new respect for the um, professional sports person who 
um, is born with a physique or a, a skill base, you know, physical skill base that means they can achieve, and then they get money and recognition for that. But it's a very short lifespan that it's they have, severe, yeah. and then they've got to go out and somehow reinvent themselves again in some other form. Um, and you know, some are gifted enough that they do have lots of choices, but others don't. Um, yep, so right. you know, in my case, I was really lucky in that the the advice it did resonate. I was horribly upset about what I'd been experiencing, so I was ready to hear it. It took me a while, though. I was surprised how long it took me to get to that point. And the guilt in not sharing the, um, I don't like the word pain, but it was pain. There was a, there was a grieving going on because I, I had a sense of loss. So the fact that I was keeping that hidden really, you know, but I didn't want to tell people that I, I, I felt like a failure when I was actually a success in my own eyes as much as, you know, people around me's. But it was it was an interesting thing. So you were feeling a pushback, and then you found a pathway. What was yours? How did how did you get through that? So my pathway was working out that I needed to share the load. So um, once and and I didn't. So I think it's quite important to note that um, I didn't actually go and see someone, and I probably should have, perhaps. But I actually did manage to get through this with just reading and searching online. It sounds like Mike um, was a great support as well. Oh, he, he's amazing. And he thinks on a different level. I'm all, I'm a bit ripshit and bastard. <laughs> he's a, he's a analyst, you know, so he's really good at breaking things down and thinking through things and then coming back and remembering to clock in. And, um, so we agreed that we would share more of the business aspect everything from the accounts to every new idea I had for purchasing anything, for making anything, everything that I would definitely, that. so we agreed to have meetings. So we would have um, a business meeting, so to speak, and fit one of those in every couple of weeks. And that helped incredibly because it became our business. Mm. It was my art practice but the business side of it became ours. And he doesn't, he never controls what I do or make or even makes suggestions at, at anything. Um, but to have him there as that support was really cool. So that was one thing. And then I decided that I definitely needed to get some help in the studio um, for all those mundane, mundane work tasks that there are. A lot of the repetitive stuff and just make it a bit more fun. So I was fortunate in that I found someone pretty quickly, and she just started with me a day a week. And that and that just meant that the more mundane tasks were more interesting because we were listening to music and chatting. Um, it didn't matter that she wasn't an artist, and I felt like I got through three times as much work, not, not two times as much work, much more. So... Productive-wise, that allowed me to get through the boring work and then I had more time to design new work because oh, that's what I'd been lacking. I'd fallen back into production um, just to pay the bills and I wasn't really creating new work. So I set about making time to make sure that I did create new work. So, so that, both of those answers worked for me. Those That, that, that whole um, – as – you were losing you and phrases best when you were moving into production mode was that part of the withdrawal that was happening that you maybe weren't seeing or is that just simply part of the cycle of making for you anyway well the things were selling the small the smaller things were selling and when i started my business we were in the middle of the global financial crisis right. so i was well aware that you needed to have work out there, good supported. The other thing was that, and this this relates to your other podcasts. Um, I took on too many galleries, and I was trying to, and I was trying to feed them all, and so I backed that off, um, and just decided to work with a few and build better relationships with those. And the other thing is trying to focus on those relationships with galleries because they are important important partnerships in the practice too. So I see the gallery owners as an extension of my practice. So by clocking in and having a bit of a dialogue with them, that's also me being social. Yeah, so, no, that's, that's and, a very cool way to see it. 
in some ways I was sharing the load with them, but I was just sharing everyday stuff. Um, and they are my partners. That's, that's just the way it is. So just, you know, building better relationships, having my one relationship in the studio with my assistant, which is completely on another level on that making, and then on that business side, having Mike there. Um, so speaking about relationships, can I jump forward to about five years ago? Yeah, so why not? This, this, I lo- I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying myself. Let's go there. Five years so forward. Do I have to put one on? Of, Just hold, hold on, hold on. Oh, there you go. We've jumped forward five years. Right. Okay. We're there. <laughs> We're there. Um, so one of the cool things, I, I guess, is that you morph and you change and your goals change and you need to do that and reevaluate your practice. For me, it just kind of happens. I'm not actually, believe it or not, a massively big planner. Um, but five years ago, I met up with Jenny DeGroot. And she is a painter, and a lot of people know us as the painter and the glassmaker because we we do some exhibitions together. Yeah, um, yeah, and but the tone is set on Monday mornings every week with Jenny and I. We call each other for an accountability meeting. <laughs> um, we chew the fat. What are you going to do this week? We get on to goals. We get on to oh, you know. Bit of bit of gossip about the world, um, about the art world that we're in. We keep each other real. So, as other people have waned off, you know, like I've got a different relationship with Colleen now. Now I've got a new relationship um, with Jenny, and this has been a vital relationship in my studio practice. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is that we weren't friends prior to this. So I don't know if that makes this a better relationship. The other thing is that she's a 2D artist and I'm a 3D artist. So we're not competing for the same space. But we're still, however, very interested in the same business practices, the same galleries, the same result if we have an exhibition together, those sorts of things. So So your value systems kind of run parallel even if your journeys are not? Absolutely. We do different stuff, but we have common value systems. And having that really strong support person, well, she's obviously on my critic list, is is just so I think it's absolutely vital. It's number one to studio survival. So you, although she's not in your studio with you, she's helping you manage your relationship with the studio because she's helping you manage your relationship with planning with the whole process of making is that what I'm hearing yeah absolutely so and I'm doing the same for her so we've absolutely got each other's back we care about each other's success undoubtedly um so of course I jump on the phone hey I'm gonna do a podcast with Neville tomorrow (laughs) you know (laughs) and she's all about it because she's been listening to the podcast too and we've been having amazing discussions Every couple of months, we'll bowl on up to Auckland and do a round of galleries together so that we get fresh eyes. She'll tell me about painting techniques. I'll tell her about sculpture techniques. And um, just have so much to offer each other. That's wonderful. It's not easy for some people to be able to make those connections. You know, there's an awful lot of creatives who work from quite an introspective space. That's how they are. So if they're not able to build friendships like you've developed, which is I, I think most would be envious of because that does sound really quite ideal, just getting somebody that you feel safe to be able to have a blat at and oh, a shitty day today and the bastard paint wouldn't move right or, um, you know, I had a failing in the kiln or whatever it is. Um, so you let it out, but also by sharing some of those those pieces of your day that maybe would sit on you instead of in you um, and become a weight. That that sounds like a strength that she's so you're fulfilling for each other, really. Yeah, we are. And and honestly, this relationship did happen by accident. It happened with just her saying to me, hey, do you want to exhibit together before I even had knew her? And then, you know, that just resonated with me and I thought, actually, that could be a really good idea. 
It, it is no. funny how those relationships can just present themselves. I, I suspect they're always there, like a lot of things. You know, you're looking for a car and suddenly you notice a particular model on the road all the time because you're now focused. I think the universe does that. It's always there. It's just when you're ready to see or f be open to these things, they happen. But not yeah, always and, with and the degree that you've achieved. I mean, that, that's, that's a magical relationship where you can have that type of trust and uh, really be able to work with somebody in that way. There's not a commitment yeah, of I, expectation. It sounds like it's it's truly a joint benefit and everyone's winning from it. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it is. It is definitely um, joint benefits going both ways. But I but I can't reiterate enough how much how important that Monday morning meeting is. I wouldn't miss it, Neville. Yeah. If you'd said to me you wanted to do this on Monday, I would have said, "Oh, sorry, I can't." <laughs> and it's nice that you ring fence that as as an important part of your day. Can, can I yeah. ask? Do you, are you a, a um, where do you create from? Do you create from your heart or your head? Where how does your process work? My process works that I'm always influenced by a prior piece. I've only just worked this out, mm -hmm. so um, it's coming from what I've done previously. I am a person that doesn't look. I don't trawl the internet looking at other glass artists. I keep an eye out, but I'm not really and I, I focus I actually focus a lot on painters um, and that leads to my heart Ooh, those colors sing together how can I make that work in my work you know right and then yeah and then that will come from um, new forms and and shapes but I'd I think it's a mix of two I don't think it's one or the other okay. so when because you're I'm such a practical person when you're talking with her then and you, you've got I'm, – I'm just curious as whether she processes yeah. the same way or, you know, a lot of really good relationships, and you described yours and Mike where he's the process person and you're the passion person. Yeah. Um, in my life, I have the same relationship. In fact, um, at a collaboration up in Whangarei a couple of years ago, uh, we had a conversation one evening around a fire, and of 15 of us there, every single one had a partner that was either a scientist <laughs> – um, so they're in the medical field or science field. They were a teacher, um, yeah. and normally maths teachers were the most prominent, um, or they were an accountant or engineer. It was just like it, we all needed, because balance is often, you know, you need a yin and a yang or an up and a down to kind of find a middle. Um, does she work that way for you, or do you both respond to your creative process the same way as really where I'm trying to sort of dig into? Uh, God, I think Jenny would answer this better than I am. But on that <laughs> note, her her husband's a doctor. So there, uh, you go. there you go. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I, I do think we think we recognise that similar ways of thinking. Um, there's some parts we think similarly, and there's other parts where you just let that other person go. Gotcha. You know. So that mutual respect is actually really more important than trying to find I'm, – what I'm trying to do is help people sort of paint a picture of who they might be looking for as their equivalent. If they're, if they're at that point where they feel they need somebody else in their world, what am I shopping for? Um, and you know, it sounds like primarily a, a relationship of trust has to be built. That's not often instant. Um, but yeah, a common think, yeah. approach to the world or there's got to be something that you key into. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it needs to be on every level of your practice. I mean, our practices couldn't be Jenny's and mine couldn't be more different from each other. The process, the actual doing part. So we tend to talk a bit more about um, about the results, how we're feeling, or what we're trying to achieve, and we talk about emotion and tension and. And um, so we are similar, and th those are our commonalities as far as making the work. But the other thing is that we also both help each other really heavily in the business side of it. So what Jenny does for me is she does things like she does all the research online about podcasts and articles. It was her that told me to listen to you. Okay. I don't do any of that. Thanks, I Jenny. hate researching. <laughs> <laughs> I hate researching. She does the research, yeah, and then she um, and then she um, comes back to me. I do the nutting out of how we how to do a business thing, you know. Yeah, so nice. I'm like, right, I've got PayPal sorted. This is how we do it. Boom, and hand that over to her. So you both need uh, to be able to bring something that's yourself in. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we help each other on those um, on those business practices massively. Um, otherwise, she'd have her accounts in a mess. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that I've also noticed in the years I've been dealing with so many artists is there is this weird mystique. Um, it's a burden I think the art community carries of the tortured artist. It's like the poor artist mystery <laughs> that I, I refuse to accept that we have to be poor. I also refuse to accept that we have to be sort of anguish ridden and sort of jelly lumps in the corner that just weep and, and twitch every now and again. Um, having somebody to give you a kick in the ass and say, come on, it's time to get yourself out of this mode. We've got things to do. Um, for me is, oh, is something that yeah. um, it seems to be, you know, having that, that one, that trust that you will share that thought with somebody, but, um, you know, finding good people who recognize that what you're doing right now is not good for you and will speak a truth to that power is, uh, is obviously another thing that you guys have by the sounds of it. Yeah, I, I, I think one approach you, you could use or listeners could use to about finding that person is um, I had a not-so-very-nice experience working with a um, gallery owner once, and we had an amazing show, really good sell-out show, but we weren't treated very nicely. Mm. And I didn't and I didn't want to go back for a second one. I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And I decided then and there that I was only going to surround myself with people that I wanted to be around and be that in business, be that in art. And so, you know, that thing of us, if you want to be as good as those people, then go hang out with them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that you can, if you take that approach and you think carefully, Hey, is this a person I want to be like? Do I want to be around them? That's a really good start. Oh, you should see the dirty, great grin on my face. As you said that, <laughs> I just burst as, Oh Yeah. Because um, I, I think part of that's maturity. We do get to that point where we realise that um, some people might have influence, they might have uh, authority, they might have all sorts of things that you feel you need in your world. But if they're not good for you, to hell with them, just move them aside. There is somebody else out there with those same attributes, those same opportunities who will be good for you. You just have to maybe look a little longer. Um, so, yeah. yeah, push push those ones to the, the curb and keep rolling. And you can and do I that nicely. You don't have to be rude about it, but yes, equally, yeah. why, why suffer fools? You don't need to suffer fools. No. That's absolutely it. Yeah, so um, if you're looking for someone, I think the other thing is too, the artists are a bit afraid to ask. Oh, don't don't just assume that because they're an artist, they wouldn't want that as well. Yeah. You know, that sounding board. And even if it starts off with, hey, should we meet up every Friday afternoon and just go for a walk? Or whatever it is that you might like to do together, um, that's a pretty good way to do it. I oh, think. absolutely. Now, at this point, I want to make a, a, a little bit of a moment and shout out to Bruce Fergus. Now, Bruce is a um, a wonderful wood sculptor, and he's my Jenny. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, I hope he doesn't mind being called a Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> but from the sounds of things, it's a compliment. So, Brucey, accept it and move on. <laughs> Uh, and, um, you know, we, we connected one day. In fact, it was the very first day that uh, my child went off to Montessori. Um, right. And I found myself free and I decided to go and look at art and I walked into his studio and I was then late picking her up from school. <clears throat> um, mm -hmm. <laughs> we just, we clicked. And we've been great mates ever since. And what is that now? 16 years. And he... Um, as you describe with Jenny, somebody I can trust to have a bleat at and I know it won't be, you know, an ongoing issue because he knows I need to download it, you know, times over things. Um, but he has different life experiences and he has different skill bases, but we both have similar aspirations in terms of quality and, um, you know, the things that we're interested in. Um, and I feel absolutely blessed to have had him fall into my world the way he did, or maybe I fell into his, but however it worked. Uh, and I'm not a guy who has guy mates. Um, that's the weird right. thing for me. I've I've never been particularly good with the men. I have most of my female friends are better friends because that's just how I think. Um, so he, he caught me a bit off guard in that sense. And finding somebody that you can bounce an idea off. Um, in my case, I'm a talker and he's a good listener and that works quite well for me. I feel for him at times. Um, but I do, I talk through my problem um, or the project or the idea uh, and he gives me good air time and then will give me a kick up the bum and say, come on, get on with it, stop talking, time to do something and I need that. 
Yeah, so, we all need that. Yeah, it, uh, uh, what I guess I'm trying to say back to you is, is that what you've just sort of outlined resonates to me, um, and we haven't had this conversation before, so that um, it's kind of nice to see because my maker hat is a very yeah. different hat to my gallerist and my marketer hat. Um, and I need different people in different parts of my world for different reasons. And that doesn't mean I'm using people for different things, but I have different levels of engagement. You know, my wife is the most amazing woman I've ever met. And after 36 years, she's probably also the most burdened in terms of having to put up with my, my journey. But she will support me in lots of things until I start talking about my work. And at that point, she kind of glazes over and snores quietly uh, because it has no interest to her. And yeah. I've found that by trying to bring her into this, it actually diminishes what we have. We, we work really well in offering each other relief from those things. So finding other people outside of the family network, you know, that's worked for me and it's obviously worked for you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Can I ask you about your space? Now, I, I've got this weird philosophy. I don't know if it's weird, but... Untested, so I'd, I'd be curious about this. You know, we're talking about studio. Um, uh, how do we describe what we're talking about, really? Uh, studio survival was the title of your work, so let's hold that one. Um, yep. I believe we charge spaces with energy. Um, I have some studios that I've had over the years that when I walk into, I've done a particular job well, and over time it's how I think of that. So as soon as I arrive, I feel like I'm about to do X or Y well. So at the moment I'm living a fractured world where I have a metalworking studio that's 10 minutes drive away. I have a stone carving studio that's on the side of that. I have a um, the, the recording space is a different one again. I have the gallery. I, I've compartmentalised my process so that I can do different jobs. And you describe the white room and then the dirty room, I think you used the term, grubby room. The messy, messy, messy room. room. <laughs> <laughs> the workshop. Yeah. The workshop. We've got so the white room and the workshop. If we're bringing people into our world to help protect us and, and, and or help us feel safe and, and move through some of those flat times that are inevitably going to happen, um, do you work at all on protecting your space in terms of a physical thing, like not inviting people into it because it's yours? Or do, do you have any process there that you attach to the actual physical place? Yeah, see, that, that's a very interesting um, conversation to have. And that comes also comes back to having this assistant. Because when you let an assistant into your workshop, they're in amongst all your personal stuff. Too. They're, they're touching all that hard-earned um, things. They're touching the favourite tool, you know. You know, <laughs> you know. There's, there's quite a lot. So I've kind of got this thing that um, the white room is really the neutral space because that's my show-off space too. Remember, it's my gallery, yeah. you know. So I've got little lights under the shelves that turn on, and and if a client's just coming even to pick up maybe a, a trophy that I've made, I always want that space to look nice. That's my my presentation. It's only an ordinary sized door to walk through to the workshop, but there is probably a definite boundary, and I see some people really respect that and ask, "Can they go in there?" And I love to show people what I do, and I love seeing the look on their face when they walk in and realise this chick has got all this <laughs> all, all this gear, you know. Um, so. I do. I'm. I'm quite happy to welcome people in, um, but I do have times where it's not okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. No. That a, yeah. Makes sense indeed. Because it. It. Again, it's that emotional charging. There are times where you're working on an idea, or you're in the middle of whatever it is, and I like to park those things sometimes, and I. I make a mental effort to leave them in the space. Yeah, uh, and and there's and there's times you're not ready. To yep. show the world, oh, you're just yeah. not. Yep. And that I did find that frustrating when I was um, teaching for a while. That quite often, if I was working on something, I have to put all that stuff away because I'm not I'm not ready to get into discussion about it. It's not that I don't want them to see it. I actually just don't want to discuss it yet because yep. I haven't perhaps resolved it. So do you? I, I have this habit, which again 
poor Suzanne has had to put up with over the years, I will drag a piece, and sometimes they're not small, into the lounge and put it on the coffee table when it's finished for me to be able, and if it's an outdoor piece, this can be sometimes a bit invasive, I need to live around something for a little while before I'm ready to let it go because I, I there is a, there's a weird thing that's kind of embarrassing to say out loud, but there's a private gloat where you look at it and think, damn, I nailed that. I'm, I'm actually not yes. that bad at this. So um, just allowing myself that moment to enjoy the effort that I've invested, but also to understand why am I responding this way to the work? Why is this work giving me this, this sensation? And is there something that I can harvest from that? Because I don't want to make another one the same, but I'd like to have that feeling again. So Susanna needs you to have your own white room. Because <laughs> that solves that. Because that's the transition space, which gets it slightly out of the workshop. Yeah. But I'm still in the white room all the time. I'm looking around my white room at the moment, and there's probably 15 pieces of glass yeah. on display. So I'm living with those doing that, but I don't have to inflict it on the living room oh. and the family, you see. I, well, I, I have to admit, though, it is interesting watching how they respond to things too because suddenly they walk in and it's, oh, the hell have you done <laughs> And, yeah, the eyes roll. But then conversation yeah. starts and, and sometimes there is almost that sense of magician where you, ta-da, um, and you yeah. are hoping with that unprimed, um, unheralded moment that you'll get a truly honest reaction. Um, but over time they become yeah. a bit sort of calloused and... and immune to what we do because it's just what we do and that's not a reflection of any any contempt or anything it's just literally we all get used to things around us and that just happens so um no no it's cool so i think that the space thing is important protecting your space recognizing your limitations and not beating yourself up if you need others or you don't need others you need your own time you know making an acknowledgement and then putting in place a plan so that you, just like you would plan a sales strategy or a making strategy, plan a health strategy or a mental um, space yeah. that's good for you. Yeah, um, I, I had, yeah, I had yeah. a conversation with Jenny yesterday and I just said to her, hey, heads up, I'm starting to get a bit uncomfortable with being alone all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. you know, because I've been working alone since prior to lockdown, you see. And she goes, oh, you're funny. You go through fits and starts. Well, you need this assistant, and then you don't. Yeah. Um, I'm always but, planning you know, new businesses. My, yeah, because I've my fear. You. Yeah. Well, my fear is being back at that place where I've accomplished something and I have nothing more. Um, so I, I will ring poor Bruce and say, I've just had an idea. Now, often it's the the action of the idea and the exploring the idea is all I need. I don't actually want yes, to change anything. you don't need to go through with it. But I need to have that because that's what I didn't have when I hit my wall. Remember, I yeah. achieved my, my yeah. end goal, so yeah. I have to keep reinventing new goals. Um, I also yeah. use facial hair. I mean, and the... <laughs> I know this is bizarre. Uh, don't hate me for this, folks. Um, the beard at the moment's a little extreme. It's my COVID growth. Um, but we've always called them my hide-behinds. I have friends who, as soon as they see something growing on my face, they know I'm working on something because as part of my process is I, I make a physical change that I can identify while I'm in, in that, that place of flux and once I've hit that yeah. place where I'm now comfortable with my decision, it invariably gets cut off because it's just what you do. But um, it's become known within our group as a hide behind. Um, right. And it's like, what are you right. hiding behind at the moment? And it's it's also become a subtle way of me telegraphing to my network that I'm working through something. It doesn't have to be an upset but there's something that I'm working on, um, and I'm not really talking about it, but it's going on. Um, and yeah. it's a weird, weird sort of code language that it, it wasn't planned. It's just evolved. It was somebody else who pointed it out that, oh, you, you know, I see you've got yourself a beard again. What's going on in your world? Um, and I didn't even know I was doing it until they pointed it out. It's quite cool, isn't it? It's it, like putting up the do not disturb sign. It, it kind of weirdly <laughs> is. At the moment, I've got a giant neon flashing sign <laughs> if you go by the size of the growth. But um, so realistically, understanding what you're doing and then letting others in on the secret is probably um, a good 
tactic or a tactic to apply to the studio safety thing. Um, what yeah, else can we, yeah. we leave people with at the end? So we're, we're saying be honest with yourself, recognize if you need help and seek help. There is no weakness in telling others that you're struggling because if you are a creative who relies on an emotional response to your work and you are the remo- emotional investor, I'm guessing that you know if you let yourself fall into the places we ended up at, it does have an impact on your output and it has an impact on your sense of self. So be honest about it to yourself at least. Find good support if you can. If you can't, any ideas there? Ooh, that's a tricky. I just hope that everybody can find support. That's the positive in me. So, um, you know, it might, you might have to resort to professional yeah. help. It might be the sake that you sign up for a business course or something local like that that just takes yourself out of that practice. Yeah, the hobby thing, but it can still be a, a, a co you know, somewhere running well, parallel. Yeah, actually, the hobby thing is, um, I think, really a really good one. Mm. I think that was a fantastic idea, and I didn't realise, but I've just done that recently where I've picked back up um, cycling. Ah. And because it's so different to what I do in the studio, it's really important. It's great thinking time. You know, years ago it used to be swimming for me and then it was running, but now it's now it's cycling. Um, and it keeps me fit for studio practice. So. As far as I'm concerned, I've got to do it. You've got to do it. So for me, the podcast became my equivalent when everyone else, I've been talking about this for two years, could never find the time. And then lockdown came along and it's like, you know what? I don't want to go and make things just to make things. And I don't feel inspired right now. I feel quite unsure of how I feel. So instead of putting that into a piece of work, I decided let's learn all about this. So this has become my hobby. Um, and as long as I keep finances as far away from it as possible, um, and we just had that booster campaign where I had some wonderful support, and to all of you, including you, Di, thank you very much for your support. Um, but generally that was just to upgrade the process so that we were doing a decent job of it. Um, I don't want this to turn into a business model because then all of a sudden i got to find a new <laughs> hobby. <laughs> and that, that, that can be habitual, this business of making things into things. But... Okay, so I I think we've covered some great ground. Is there anything that you'd really like to leave people sort of – I'm aware that I'm kind of closing down what I'm enjoying as a conversation, but equally we've hit an hour, which is a good length of time for people. I don't want to go too much further. Yeah, one thing is we're all individuals. So, you know, you've shared a story, I've shared a story. I'm sure others have got stories along the same lines, but they're not going to be exactly the same. You've got Bruce, I've got Jenny. Um, Somebody else is going to find someone else that works for them. So it has to be an absolute individual approach because that's the the thing about the game we're in, that we're all total individuals. So I just hope somebody can get a couple of insights or stuff from our mad ramble discussion (laughs) that we've had that I've really enjoyed. Yeah, me too. Um, And um, just on it, um, as a gallerist over the years, one of the things that has struck me as being one of the nicest parts of what I do, I'm a broker, I sell art, but I get to talk about art to art lovers every single day. And a lot of the people who come in don't come to buy, they come to talk. Uh, and that's not an, you know, an imposition on people like myself. It's what we love doing. So mm. at the very least, if you're an artist, go to a gallery and strike up a conversation. with. It's one place you can find another art lover for sure. Um, yeah. Just don't get in the way if there's a customer who wants service, but equally... I, I think there is always an air out there if you need one. And if you just want to stop all the talking and just get on and do your thing, then that's cool too. Couldn't yeah. have said it better. I, th- I think you actually did. I, <laughs> I just repeated <laughs> what I heard you say. <laughs> hey, look, lovely for this. that we actually scripted this conversation, Neville, but uh, well, believe it or not, there was no scripting at no. all. Um, in fact, this is our, our first ever conversation. So, um, oh, look, one of the things I think that has proven itself over and over again to me for doing this for so long, um, not the podding, but the um, the art thing, is that we're not that different. It doesn't really matter what the medium is. If you're a committed maker, there's enough in common that you can find a conversation with just about anyone 
because we don't have to define the world um, the way we would talking to an architect or an accountant or, you know, we, we've already got common language. So we're already in a gifted position. And I feel doubly Absolutely. blessed for having had this one. Um, I hope that well, we're not going to edit any of it um, because it was lovely and it flowed and I think it's best warts and all. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Now, wasn't that lovely? That was actually really a pleasant way to spend an hour. Uh, if you're looking to find out a bit more about Di and what she does, please feel free to go and have a look at her website, um, www.di, that's D-I, toker, T-O-K-E-R, at dot N-Z, ditoker.nz. Um, she does some beautiful work and well worth a look in. Hey, thanks everyone. Been wonderful today. I hope that you've... Uh, You've got inspired to make a friend or at the very least say hi to a friend and acknowledge that they're out there. And uh, yeah, I'm feeling uplifted and like I'm part of a community. So I'm going to go and make some stuff. Have a nice one. Yay! Hi everyone, it's Neville here again. Hey, just before I go, I want to remind you that we now have a new email address. It's info at theartwonk.com and also theartwonk.com is our website which we're in the process of getting set up with show notes and follow-up from the shows. So please get in contact uh, with us if you have any questions or feedback, uh, especially if you feel that we somehow I glossed over something that's of importance to you uh, and yeah, really would enjoy having that that connection with you as somebody who's trying to be a creative in today's environment uh, and let me know if there's stuff that I'm missing out or stuff you'd like to know. So now I'm off to my studio. Happy creating!